Welcome to the podcast. It's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee, and joining me, like always, is Coach Chad Timmerman. What's up, Chad? Um, just here for another iteration of the podcast, Jonathan. Nice. And also Nate Pearson, CEO and founder of Trainer Road. What's up, Nate? Hello. And we're going to go through today and answer your coaching questions. Uh, we, you can submit your questions to us at support at trainerroad.com. You can type them in live if you're joining us live uh, by just typing them into the questions panel. And we will do our best to provide the answers that you need to make you faster. That's the goal. You can also uh, listen to this podcast after the fact, wherever finer podcasts are aggregated, whether that's iTunes or whatever service you're using to find it. Or you can find us on SoundCloud. Just search for Trainer Road and you'll find us or cycling or anything like that. And also, when you're doing that, please leave us a review. We've gotten a number of uh, five-star reviews here over the past few weeks. We love those. Keep them coming. Uh, let us know what we're doing well. And also, if you think there's any way we can improve, you can always submit that as well to us. Uh, we also got another review this week that said if he hears another question about base training, he is going to unsubscribe. So, <laughs> so I'm sorry about that. We are going to talk about base training. It's just the time of year. Please don't unsubscribe. Bear with us. Uh, but not as these much. These questions, exactly. Not as much. Yeah, yeah. These questions, we'll we'll, we'll go through them and just pr- try to provide you the most interesting stuff. Um, there's one question a couple weeks ago that. Uh, we answered, provided a little bit more information, but we got a, an actual doctor to provide a fantastic answer to this. Um, so you might have remembered we talked to an or an athlete asked us a question when he's going hard during intervals, his teeth and gums get numb. And Dr. John Sharp, he's a musculoskeletal radiologist, he sent in this info. So he said... Um, he said, rapid deep breathing results in the body blowing off. Uh, yes, that is the term, carbon dioxide, which is an acid gas. While removing acid from the body by breathing out, carbon dioxide is a normal part of your acid-base balance. A period of hyperventilation can cause a temporary disturbance in this balance called respiratory alkalosis. You can try this yourself by breathing fast and deep for half a minute or so. The respiratory alkalosis has an effect on the nerve tissue, which manifests itself as perioral or fingertip uh, tingling. This whole situation corrects itself when breathing returns to normal, such as at the end of a VO2 max interval. So thanks a lot, John. We appreciate that. That is awesome. Thank you so much. Yes. That's the, that's the type of stuff. If you guys have an answer that we don't have, you can also let us know if you have an expertise that extends ours. We're, we're experts in terms of cycling, uh, training, training with power, and, and many associated topics with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you have other questions, Nate's an expert in barbecue too, so we <laughs> oh, have yeah. that. But <laughs> Yeah, feel, feel free to <laughs> chime you, in. I mean, we want to learn as much as you guys do, so you know, share the wealth. Exactly. So let's kick things off. Uh, Daryl has a question. If I'm wrapping up my cyclocross season in November, I already have lots of miles in my legs and want to build additional power for the spring. Should I start back at the base phase in December, even if just for a few weeks, or should I just start going into a build phase? So in other words, should I skip build or should I skip base training? Um, Daryl, you might already have a a sufficient base. And if you're looking to be fit by spring, you might not need another full base period. Uh, But if anything, you're coming off of a competitive season. So taking a little bit of a break, whether that's in the form of unstructured training or base, base training is, is uh, probably a good idea. Um, if you don't feel that you need uh, an extended or protracted base approach, then, uh, a couple weeks of it, and then dive into your build training such that you can get through specialty and, and onto your races, uh, in in the manner or the, the schedule that you want. 
So that, that's a good question. So in general, if someone's like a lot of people race really early in the season, but they're mm-hmm. racing late in the season. So let's say I was, I was racing late in the season and then I have an early season and let's say I take off, you know, two weeks or something. What What's kind of the mix there? Do you go from like a sweet spot that, base right into specialty or do you jump right into build or? That's when I, I like uh, riders to rebuild. So, so they have like a compressed period. They're already fit. They don't need to revisit base training except for maybe the, the psychological break and the physio- physiological break from intensity. Uh, but then they can dive back into a rebuild where they just kind of rekindle their their build fitness or that intermediate step. Um, and typically that's that's a shortened period. So if our, you know if you build for eight weeks, maybe you only build for three or four, and then you revisit your specialty such that it aligns with uh, your your early in the year events. If you were using Trainer Road and I was using um, just like three to four weeks, would I use the beginning of a build phase or the, like the last three to four weeks of a build plan? That, that's a good question. That also depends on, you know, where you are. If you feel a little spent, a little overwrought, you know, maybe you, you do the first three or four weeks because, you know, they're, they're, they're milder in intensity. But if you're going good and you feel like you can handle the bump in intensity or maybe you need it to keep your fitness climbing, then the latter four weeks. And one last question too. Um, I think a lot of people, we think that like, because it's November, December, we're like, oh, it's base time or, or something. But your strategy of, uh, you know, doing the rebuild, if I was, mm-hmm. say I'm a triathlete and I race a lot during the year, let's say I have a race in, in May and then my next big race is in October, I could mm-hmm. do a rebuild inside of that too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So base season, it's like in terms of North American racing, you know, people who want to be fit in the spring, real fit in the summer, this is base season, but base season floats. I mean, it's all relative to where your key events are. So just because we're pushing base training right now, that's because a lot of people are, are in the base period of their of their training, but that doesn't apply to everybody. And even North American, uh, if you're a cycle cross racer, or if you plan to be fast early in the year, um, you might already be doing build. You might even be specializing by now. I think that guy just unsubscribed because we said base like (laughs) five times. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, I'm looking at the next questions. I don't think there's any base for a while. (laughs) You can fast forward. You can skip Uh, questions. I, I, I just want to speak really quickly to the rebuilding and uh, picking a ladder portion. I, last season, in the middle of my season, I picked a rebuild at the ladder, or I picked the second half of a build plan. So it was four weeks and it was more intense training and it worked fantastically well. I was nervous that my body wasn't going to be able to support it. Um, I didn't have any data to back up those nerves. It was just a lack of experience. Uh, and I, I did just fine with it. Um, yeah, and it, and it worked out very well for me this year. So. Son, how do you determine when you are peaking? So this is right in line with what I was talking about there. Is this where you are in, or is this where you are in a plan or is there another metric that you use to measure when you peak? Um, son, in the case of our training plans, this is where we, we peak your TSS. Um, and we're assuming that while we're peaking your TSS, your fitness is also, uh, peaking. So, so, so actually the TSS peak will, will happen just before we start to taper you and the taper will kind of remove some of the fatigue so that your fitness can climb to its highest level. So TSS peaks, and then we start to taper you, um, and, and, and kind of drop the training load so that your body can absorb the stress and respond just in time for your, your peak events. Yeah. And sometimes people refer to that as form. So although you're not getting any more fit, you're getting, uh, you're being more rested. So you're, you're fresher and you can really attack that. A, a, a really good way to, to, um, describe that is at the end of the tour de France, you just, you just did that crazy race. You're probably very fit, but your form is very low cause you're tired. Um, and if you do recover, you know, you're, you're probably going to be more fit afterwards. 
Yeah, it's a function of fitness and freshness, and they're inversely related to uh, within certain constraints. So as you get more fit, you get less fresh. As you get more fresh, generally, you're also going to be less fit. However, having said that, you uh, fitness tends to last a little bit, and you can recover quicker uh, than, or I should say, the drop-off from fitness isn't quite as rapid as you would get uh, with freshness. You can recover pretty quickly there. So it's all about finding where that balances. People do use data for it. Um, a plan, as you're, to directly address your questions on, a plan should have that built within it, a, 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 a sound plan for you, for your an annual plan for training. It should actually show you when you're going to, uh, or should bring you to peak fitness, and that should be evident in the amount of training stress and the recovery that you have prescribed. Yeah. And so peaking is, is basically about shedding uh, fatigue. So when, when you work up what, right up to the edge of your peak, you're probably very tired. Um, so the fitness hasn't really been unearthed yet, but when you recover that, that fitness starts to, you know, like, like cream, it kind of rises to the top such that you can exploit it when your when your event rolls around. David, uh, curious if you could all go into what TSS is, how it's calculated and how to use it in training outside of just trainer road. Does heart rate play a major factor into the TSS number? So uh, can, first of all, what's take, TSS? Well, do you want me to take this one, Chad? I, yeah, feel free. I was just explaining it to a, a new employee. Okay, so yeah, we, we, we throw on these numbers, and this is good to kind of step back and get an understanding of it. So there's, there's, there's a few uh, acronyms that play a part in the TSS uh, number. First is FTP. And we say FTP, that stands for Functional Threshold Power. And what that is, is that's a, um, what that number is, is we, we describe it in wattage, so 300 watts, and it's a relation to how much power you can hold for an hour. So if I have an FTP of 300 watts, that means that theoretically, if I had a, you know, a gun to my head and I say, you have to do your maximum power output for an hour, it should be 300 watts. And based on that FTP, that's how Trainer Road um, prescribes workouts and training zones and all that kind of stuff. Um, another, another term that you have to learn is called normalized power. So normalized power is a way for us to compare average um, power output between different workouts. So if you have an average, for example, you do a crit and it goes, you go really hard, but you have a lot of time where you're just coasting. Those coastings have a lot of zeros in them, and that will bring your average power down very low. So you could have a very intense crit, but your average power could be, you know, 120. What normalized power does, and you can look up the formula online, but it, it kind of evens out all those spikes to say, if you were to have ridden um, at, a, at a constant steady state, what would your average power can be? And that allows us to compare workouts. The next thing to get into TSS, we're still not there yet, is called intensity <laughs> factor. Intensity factor is a description of how intense a workout can be. And the way to, to, to figure that out is if it has an intensity factor of one, that means you have gone all out for one hour and there's, there's, you know, it's not possible to go higher than, than, than one for all, all out for an hour. There's a, there's now there's some things you could, someone's probably screaming at their phone right now. There's this thing called a, an NP buster where you could possibly get higher than one, F but in general, FTP you, can't, buster. you can't do it. FTP buster. Yeah. So, so, and then TSS, a TSS is a description of how much potential fitness, um, a workout can give you. So, um, and now these all relate to each other. So if you go all out for an hour and you have an intensity factor of one, that means your, your wattage would be at whatever your FTP would be. That means you would generate 100 um, points of TSS. Okay. So now how these all relate is you can have a very short workout that is intense, that has a really high intensity factor. So you could have a 30 minute workout with a, a one point, 
you know, two intensity factor. And we're, we're raising over that one number because it's less than an hour. So it's extremely intense, but you're not, your TSS is going to be low because you're not really generating a lot of potential fitness from that ride. You could also have a five hour ride. That's not very intense. So very low intensity factor of 0.7 or 0.65, but you could generate a lot of TSS. So a lot of potential fitness. So, um, they kind of, they kind of relate to each other. If your intensity factor is really high, you can't train for as long. And that's where like things like sweet spot base. And we, we talk about the, the base phase having, um, longer rides. Sweet spot base is a really good balance between intensity and TSS is you can work out for a long time and generate a lot of that TSS without getting burnt out. Uh, does Chad, do you have anything else to put into that? Um, well, he asks how to uh, use it training outside and that's, oh, yeah. you, you kind of have to correlate that, you know, using your indoor works at workouts and, and seeing the real time metrics and, and, and starting to learn how, you know, 20 minutes of, uh, VO two max gives me this much TSS, uh, 40 minutes of sweet spot this much. And you can kind of start to piece together and, and correlate that with your outdoor rides a bit. And two, the, the actual formula, I would just Google it because it's a, it's too complex to describe how you would be calculated. He, he also said, how does a heart rate play a major factor oh, yes. in TSS number? It Doesn't. plays zero, zero. It's all about power for TSS. And some people have tried to do a, like a heart rate TSS, but it, it pays zero factor. All we do and the way that it's, it's described, it's all about power. So if you want to get it outside, you really need a power meter. Yeah. I think TSS actually grew out of uh, a similar equivalent using heart rate called TRIMPS. So, so they, they took that, recognized its flaws and then applied it to power, made it a little more uh, robust. And that's, uh, yeah, Chad's exactly right. By them, it's, uh, Dr. Andrew Coggin. Yeah. He is like the, uh, and yeah, Trimps, I think of... was, uh, Eric or Bannister, Dr. Eric Bannister, I believe. Yes. Yeah. And TSS just to clarify, stands for training stress score. So uh, it was well described there. Ben has a quick question, I think related to what we're talking about right now. He asks, have, have you ever tried to hold FTP for a full hour? In mm. other words, an hour record attempt? That's a, it's a really interesting question, Ben, because I think a lot of people assume that when we measure FTP or estimate FTP, I should say, based on a, a shorter duration effort, 20 minute or a couple eight minutes, that you know theoretically you should be able to go out and do that for an hour. Uh, that's not the case. You know, we're, we're finding basically a, a steady state work level, you know, a high end, but steady state work level. And then we base our workouts on that, on your functional threshold power. doesn't mean you can go out and do that. You know, that that's part of training. We have to build that sort of endurance so that at some point, you know, as you, as you move through your training plan, you can actually go out and in the case of maybe a 40 K time trial, ride at your functional threshold power for about an hour. And it's, yeah, it's, and also t tying into this is mental fortitude as well. Yes. I mean, it takes a massive Huge amount of component. focus to be able to do that, especially for anybody that's ridden at or around threshold. You know that it's it, certainly that's not remember that's not as hard as you can go, right? It, that's where your functional threshold power is. It's where your lactate threshold is in, in terms of power. It's not as hard as you can go, but anybody that's spent an extended amount of time there knows how difficult mm -hmm. it is to focus and to, to continue to put out that constant power it, there. It's so hard. Let's say you do a 40 KTT and you end up at an hour and you say, oh, you know, that was really hard. And then you think back at it and you go, could I have done a little more? And then mm -hmm. I think this is, you know, they say, well, if my life depended on it, could I have gone harder? And the answer 99% of the time is yes, right? Or if, you know, someone else I love, their life depended on it. So... Being able to like theoretically, you're supposed to be able to put that FTP out for an hour, but most people don't have the the mental uh, capabilities just to go like bury themselves and pretty much you know 
go close to passing out in that hour for how much power you have to put out. Absolutely. Yes. So to answer your question directly, Ben, I've never done it. I don't know about <laughs> I've you I've done 40K TTs, <laughs> but I, I mean, I finished the TT and was like, I could have put out an extra five or 10 watts probably if someone was like, or, hey, I'll give you a billion dollars if you go back and if you could put out 10 more watts. I'd be like, yeah, I'll do that. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tom, uh, I'm a triathlete, but my training will be more run focused with the volume of swimming and biking reduced as the marathon is my priority. So we have more of a runner on our hands. However, I intend to carry on performing the other sports as a form of cross training and maintenance, as well as reducing the likelihood of an injury. As such, I would like to perform the two turbo sessions of around an hour per week. And I'm wondering which, and by turbo, he means trainer for those of you that the terms are synonymous there. And I'm wondering which you think would be the best plan. A possible thought I had was to perform the traditional base training program. So that's one that we have that's very, uh, that's one of our training plans that follows. Um, and you can learn more about this on our blog this week. We had a, a, a post all about base training. Sorry for that person that didn't want to hear about base training, but it'll lay it all out for you. But traditional base is a, is a traditional zone two style longer, um, longer duration, less intensity um, uh, tactic towards base training. So he wants to know if that is what he should do and simply perform the two shorter workouts and leave out the longer, steadier sessions, which will be simulated in his long, slow runs anyway, or should he do a similar protocol with the sweet spot based training plan? So this is higher intensity, less duration. One of our training plans that we have there. Do you think either of these sound like a suitable idea to help support my aerobic fitness for the marathon whilst not suffering too high a training load and helping maintain my cycling fitness? What do you say, Chad? Yeah, Tom, I think your second approach is spot on. Um, if you had just asked me point blank, what should I do? I'm a runner and I know I want a couple of days of intensity on the bike or a couple of days of riding on the bike to benefit my running, which plan? Um, I would say sweet spot, low volume. All you need are those weekday workouts. Um, everything else, uh, your your uh, your more efficiency related conditioning, your aerobic conditioning, you want to keep that as specific to running as possible. So you're just looking for the carryover benefit of the bike workouts, and you can do that in very little time. Two two one hour interval workouts each week, and uh, you're good to go. This is uh, this is funny too. Chad and I were talking about this question. This is how I met Coach Chad. Is about, and I think in 2007, um, I was training for a, a marathon, and I was doing his copy trainer classes and he owed a couple of copy trainer studios and this is what i did it was um they weren't called sweet spot base at the time but it was it was the same actually some of the same workouts i go tuesday thursday and uh i had uh it was my first marathon and i, I didn't do anything stellar but i went from like no running history and i did a 337 and then uh i did uh my first my, my first or second half ironman after that and my bike time was like a a 226 or something, which is, it's fairly good on a half. And I broke five hours and I was like, Whoa, this stuff really works. I can't believe I did like so little bike training. Um, but it was, it was as intense, but then the, I, I didn't want to pay Chad, sorry, 20 bucks a time for his class. It was Fair. so expensive. And I was like, Oh, I could just build this myself. And then that's where trade road is. And I said, the but I need Chad. So I talked to him, brought him in. The rest is history. Oh yeah. <laughs> Now we're here. Also, I currently, and this is continuing uh, Tom's question. Also, I currently have 24 weeks until my marathon. Do you think it would be suitable to do these training plans back to back? Maybe starting with the sweet spot base plan. And by the way, that's, uh, that's 12 weeks of training and it's split up into two six week chunks for you. Um, so he says, as the six week cycle suits me more during my early training, 
and then following this with a regular base program. So Chad, um, should he do these plans back to back? What do you say? Yeah, honestly, I think Tommy would be better off just doing the sweet spot one. Yeah, you go through six weeks and then you'll hit an assessment and you'll adjust your FTP up ideally and then do the next six weeks. Um, and since you have 24 weeks, I'd do the same thing again. I'm, I'm not sure you're going to derive a very big benefit, especially uh, dependent on the amount of volume you can dedicate to writing if you do it at a low intensity. You'll get that on the run and you'll get the more specific version of it on the run. So I would keep the couple of days of intensity and just uh, every six weeks reassess your FTP. Graham, you mentioned weight training for over 40s, so people that are over the age of 40, due to bone density issues. Can you elaborate and say what's needed or post me uh, or send me to an article? And we have a link for you, Graham, and we'll get that to you. Chad, what do you say about this? Yeah, I don't know if you can uh, post that link in another manner, but um, Graham, bone density... Uh, especially with cyclists and it being a low in, uh, low impact sport, uh, we don't derive the same uh, bone density benefits that you get from higher impact sports or resistance training. Um, runners, uh, people, uh, definitely not swimmers, but runners, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure what else, other types of athletes that, you know, bear more impact with, with their sport. Basketball. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. So, so, you know, non-endurance sports, um, it's not a big, as big of a concern for them, but you take a healthy endurance athlete, um, a seemingly healthy, and they could have very low bone density. Well, one way to compensate for that or address it is through resistance training. And um, we're going to share that article with you, but the gist of it, and, and I'll just recite this word for word. Over the past 10 years, nearly two dozen cross-sectional and longitudinal studies have shown a direct and positive relationship between the effects of resistance training and bone density. So these are big studies. Um, it's over a long span of time, a lot of people involved. There's a direct correlation between resistance training and improved bone density. David, what are some common motivational techniques you pass down to your trainers or trainees, forgive me, regarding getting on the trainer indoors? Any tips for waking up super early and getting a trainer ride in without being a total grump about it? Chad, you're an early morning guy. Yeah, I am. And this, uh, we, we talked about this, Jonathan and our, our marketing specialist, Chelsea talked about this the other day. Um, regarding winter training and just training in general is you, you want to remove as many obstacles as possible. Uh, if you can have a dedicated bike on a dedicated trainer set up somewhere nearby, um, that, that makes it very easy to just, in my case, it's in my basement. And I also have one here at trainer road. So I, I move literally 10 feet, um, put on a chamois, clip into my shoes, start trainer road, and I'm rolling. It takes me no more than five minutes at any time to get on the bike and get my workout in. Um, as, as far as, uh, well, yeah, I, I'll just leave it. I I'll can, leave it at that. I can answer this because I am, I, I not a morning person and I struggle the same way that you struggle. And, um, so one thing is do everything you can the night before. So mm. like chamois, don't leave your chamois in yes. your closet, like lay it out on, put it on your bike. So, you know, if you can change right there, have your coffee ready, have every single thing ready, have the software up and open to the work that you want, you know, just leave it open overnight. So all you have to do is start pedaling for it to go. And then the number one motivator for me is, and this is why Trainer Road has that minimal horizontal view at the bottom, is I watch TV. So I have, I have young kids. I watch a lot of adult shows or movies like Game of Thrones that I can't watch around them. And uh, the only time I can watch my TV shows is while I'm doing trainer trainer road. So I'll, um, because you know, the kids don't come to the room and I can do it early in the morning and I wouldn't normally get up just to watch game of Thrones in the morning, 
But if I can combine that with a great TV show, you know, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, I'm watching American Horror Story right now, Walking <laughs> Dead, all of those I would never watch in front of my kids. So what you can do with Trainer Road is put it in um, the new app calls it minimal or horizontal mode if you're on a desktop. And with iOS, it doesn't really matter, but you get just a strip on the bottom. And then I have the, uh, you know, Netflix or, or a TV show, I'm, you know, I'm streaming it is covering the rest of the screen and our instructional text will actually still stay overlaid on that. And then I do my workout and I've watched a TV show and it, it's just the best feeling in the end to be like, Hey, that was a lot of fun. I got to really do something I liked or you watch a movie or the NFL or listen to music, but just combining that other entertainment stuff. Cause there's, you know, people put a lot of money in making these TV shows to be really entertaining in movies. And, you know, we're structured to just making you, we're like, we're like a hardcore training, right? We were making you as fast as possible. You do exactly these things and we're going to make you faster, but you can overlay this entertainment from the, the, the movie industry, the TV industry, the music industry that people spend so much time on. And it, the two together is really mm -hmm. cool. So to reiterate yeah, that, that's our, go ahead, set everything that's up. That's our goal. Yeah, exactly. We just want to make you faster. Um, we, we, you can bring your own entertainment. Like for me, for example, I could never watch House of Cards while being on the trainer like <laughs> Nate. That would be so hard for me. But since I can bring whatever I want, I love watching World Cup mountain bike races. I'm a mountain biker. And when I'm on the trainer, it's fantastic watching that. I can pick up on things. It's entertaining. Really, it's just bringing whatever entertainment you have. That helps. And then echo on what Nate said the night before I have everything ready down to the socks laid out everything. And I even lay them out in the order of the articles of clothing that I will put on like in order sounds really weird, but doing all of that stuff really does help um, small it, things that have a big benefit. And as soon as you get on, like don't surf the web or anything, just as soon as you start pedaling, like you're in it and then you're, you're, you're golden. As soon as you start like that first, those first like minute of pedaling, <laughs> The, I can't iterate this or stress this enough is we're not an entertainment company. We're not there to entertain you. Like we're there to train you. So, uh, this is me probably getting into more stuff, but, uh, it, it's just, we're all about making you faster. And this is this podcast about too, where it's not supposed to be entertainment. You know, one other, one other tip about this too, David, um, and this perhaps you said without being a total grump about it, maybe this is mean spirited of me. I don't know, but when I'm training, I get such a rise, like so much fulfillment out of knowing that my competition is sleeping right now. Oh, that's awesome for me. Ooh, like I, like I, that. <laughs> I that is, live off stuff. of that. So like I get up and I'm riding on the trainer and I'm, I'm putting in all my work long before this person has even got up. And I, on race day, I'm going to do the same thing to him. Right. So that's, that's really motivating for me. Um, and now we have the next one, uh, Jan. I, I hope that's how you pronounce your name, Jan. Forgive me if I'm if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. Um, I'm a recreational triathlete from the Netherlands. Been using Trainer Road for a few weeks. Good to know. I'm planning to start a base period to start my 2016 season. And I have a question about the theory behind sweet spot base and traditional base. So another base training question. And check out the blog post this week because it touches on quite a lot about that. But essentially, your question is about an 80-20 approach, which is kind of, it's just, uh, since base training is the topic of conversation as of late, it's being brought up, where you spend 80% of your time below aerobic threshold and 20% of your time above anaerobic threshold. And you do very, you do everything you can to stay out of what you call the gray zone, which I think is somewhat of a misinterpreted tone or term, forgive me. Um, looking at these two different things, what or what's the theory or evidence behind the sweet spot base and traditional base structure? But before we get to that, 
Chad, what are your thoughts on this 80-20 theory? And then we'll touch on the gray zone after this. But what are your thoughts on the 80-20 theory? Um, it, it's really good stuff. It's very interesting. Um, Steven Seiler is a, a relentless researcher. He's, he seems objective and unbiased and a real smart, well-spoken guy. And and he's got a lot of good things to share. Um, and, and what he he, he uh, indicates pretty early on in any of these discussions is, is this is all based on really high-end athletes. I mean, these are guys who are looking for really marginal gains. So an 80-20 approach where they, they hit the intensity and they hit it very hard, and then they spend a lot of time training their aerobic base uh, the, or their, their aerobic capabilities, the other 80% of the time, it, it's highly effective for them. And, and it's not to say that it wouldn't be highly effective for lower-end athletes, but if you're a lower-end athlete, you probably don't have a ton of time to spend and you have to focus more on the intensity and the muscular endurance. Uh, the fact is, if you don't have this, uh, you know, high level fitness, your body's going to respond to a lot of things. So, you know, wh why not eat the most out of your two or three or five hours a week with uh, different types of workouts? Um, if you're going to polarize it, it, it assumes for one, you're very fit. It also assumes that you've got a lot of time to dedicate to that other 80% of your training. So and this, the, this, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Nate. I was going to say the gray zone, um, mm. that's normally referred to as like, um, tempo. So kind of below sweet spot. Is that, is that right, Chad? It is. Yeah. So gray zone is like, you know, the long, slow stuff is endurance. Then you have sweet spot where we start to branch into more muscular endurance or strength, you know, pushing your FTP up, uh, in between that is that tempo zone. And it's not useful to too many athletes. Like it's, like, it's a little too stressful and it causes or necessitates more recovery than, than the benefit uh, merits. Um, so when we talk gray zone, I think when most people talk gray zone, they're talking that uh, kind of 75 to 85% of threshold region. And that too, that's kind of, um, I feel like the majority of riders that you see out on the road, mm -hmm. that's where they are for like their like they're like, oh, this is like I'm kind of working, but it's not really that uncomfortable. You know, it's a little uncomfortable and they do their whole ride there. And this is like not the spot to be in. This is why we advocate, um, you know, the endurance work with endurance time. But then the rest of it is intervals. Uh, is that right, Chad? Yeah. And that's that's why the, the argument, the, the pro argument for uh, polarization is, is sound, because too many people work in that gray zone. They're they're uh, on their hard days. They don't work hard enough on their easy days. They don't ride easily enough. And that's too what our plans are. I mean, if you look at just the shape of the, like the picture of the workout, it's intense intervals followed by rest. And when on your easy days, they are easy, right? Mm -hmm. We, I think we ever prescribe someone to like sit in tempo for, or do tempo intervals for, you know, a workout. No, no, it doesn't, re doesn't, doesn't really have a place in our training. And to be honest, if I could come up with my own definition of this gray zone thing, so step aside while I insert my own doctrine here, hopefully this is okay, but the gray zone training that I see going on a lot of the time is just training without objective. And I think that's something that, that Nate touched on there. Like there's a lot of people that go out and they'll chase a Strava segment and then they'll just be completely worked for five minutes. And, but they forget about the fact that they should probably be going back. And if they're going to be working hard, they should have structured rest intervals. And that's something that's so commonly overlooked with intervals is people think that they can, as long as they get the interval work in, it doesn't matter how long the rests are in between. And the rests are so key. I mean, especially for an athlete that's going to be dealing with anything like criterium racing or mountain biking or cyclocross, right, Chad? Like mm -hmm. having, making sure that oh, the every, rest... every racer. 
Yeah, every exactly every, every racer really the, the time between intervals like shortening that is is part of the way that you can add more tss and intensity to a workout that's you can either make the intervals longer more intense or you can reduce the the time between intervals and that has to be done carefully it can't just be done you know if you if you feel like pushing yourself harder it can be easy to push yourself to a spot where you're actually not getting the gains that you want right chad yeah, yeah, these are all structured and uh, or we take into account, um, you know, what we're after. If we're trying to develop capacity, work you really hard and then rest you really well. If we're trying to exploit that capacity as you get, you know, closer to your key events, then we work you really hard. And we don't give you much time to rest, much like uh, the scenario you're going to encounter when you're out on the race course. Yeah, fantastic stuff. So uh, Rent has a question. He's an airline pilot, so he has the typical schedule where he'll be on for a number of days and then coming back, stressful job. Um, but first of all, Ren, you mentioned that you bumped your FTP from 210 to 270 in about two years. So if I Yay, had, yes, awesome. there we are. Nice. Good job. Um, if I was, uh, if I w- had some type of radio guy producer, he would probably hit the clap drop right now. <laughs> so, um, now you mentioned something, uh, when you say that you come back from, uh, after uh, three days or four days on, you come back, you train and you mentioned that sometimes your heart rate is 10 to 15 BPMs higher than what you usually see. Chad, is this something that should be expected or is this something he should be worried about? Um, I, I think considering the amount of stress he's dealing with, it's, it's pretty typical. So I, I, I wouldn't be alarmed. And I, I read ahead and he's actually uh, met with a cardiologist, pulmonologist, um, and, and has, has gotten the go ahead. The doctor said this is nothing to worry about. He has a pretty high uh, heart rate in general. And that's one thing you also mentioned your age in here, Rent, and uh, keep in mind the fact that even though it's it's like a common thing to hear people say 220 minus your age or whatever, that certainly is not gospel. Uh, that that can be that varies from person to person, and heart rate itself is such a variable metric. Yeah, um, but, but but I'm saying, but with him, 10 to 15 BPMs high, that would be a huge disparity for me. But he has 109. He he can work out at 195 BPM during his high intensity efforts. So 10 to 15. BPM is relative to you know 200 BPM a minute. That's not as uh, impacting as it would be with someone like me who you know tops out about 170. Perfect. And then he also mentions when he does feel jet lagged after his first day at home after working like that, should he just make this when he feels jet lagged and he just does not feel like training, feels exhausted? Chad, should he look at making it a rest day or this one's pretty subjective? But I'll go ahead and read through what he says. He says, when my body is not up for it on my jet lagged first day at home, should I make this a rest or recovery ride? And then the high intensity days on the remaining days that I have, this would imply all the real work is done back to back on the remaining two to three days at home, because he usually just has three to four days at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you get back, uh, right, I hope I'm saying that right. Your body and uh, in, in your mind, you're not exactly in a prime state. You're not raring to go. So if you have a very demanding workout ahead of you, chances are you're not going to maximize it and, and, and eke all the, the potential out of it. Um, I've dealt with this this very same thing um, for whatever reason. Come off a, a break from training, getting back into it. You want to dive right back into it and do that first workout all out. But a lot of the time, you're better off taking that first day back at a more moderate effort level. Um, letting your body recover from whatever stress for just another day, still doing a workout and then hitting that workout, uh, hitting all your numbers, maybe exceeding them 
in, in this more rested state. And in your case, because you have to maximize these short periods of available training time, do two, two days in a row, no big deal, because you know you're gonna recover for two or three days in a row after that. So you get big doses of stress, but then you follow it with big doses of recovery. And that can work quite well. Mike, I struggle with VO2 interval workouts. I get halfway through the workout and will be unable to compete or to complete the remaining intervals at the prescribed power and duration. This seems like a weakness in my fitness profile. It's keen observation there. I've noticed this in my races also. When five to 10 minute efforts is at well over FTP are required, I come up short. So I want to work this area. Should I back off my FTP setting in trainer road slightly for these type of workouts so that I might be able to complete all of the intervals with good form and then gradually raise the FTP as I improve? Yeah, Mike, we, we have a slew of excellent questions today. I mean, we always get good questions, but this, this round of them has just had so many topics that I really want to touch on. And this is one of them. Um, VO2 max work in particular, it, it falls at different uh, percentages of functional threshold. So if the workout is scripted at 120% for three minutes at a time, it doesn't mean you can do it. And I, and I won't get into the reasons why uh, FTP and VO2 max relate differently for different riders, but they do. That's the fact of the matter. So if you find that doing it at 120% blows you up, you're kind of missing the potential benefit of the workout. You know, dial it back a bit, figure out what's repeatable, what allows you to get through the entire workout. Because what we're after with VO2 max workout workouts is spending a lot of time at a high level of aerobic uptake. You know, we want to really stress your heart and lungs. We want to really send a very clear message to your body that uh, I need more aerobic capabilities. I need, you know, more blood, whatever the messages are, we want to make that clear. You don't make it clear when you have to bail out of the workout three intervals into an eight interval workout. So figure out what's repeatable, figure out, you know, perhaps how that relates to your FTP. Know that when a workout says do intervals at 120%, they work for me at 115% or 112%, 118%, whatever it is, um, figure it out. That may change over time, but uh, if it does, it won't change much. And two, when you do that, if you're using trainer road, just instead of changing your FTP, use yeah. the intensity adjuster and adjust the intensity down a little bit. Cause if you change your FTP, then you won't get uh, accurate TSS and intensity factor measurements. And it's just a pain in the butt to change your FTP, but it's easy to turn dial down the workout a little bit. Yeah. These, these are all on the fly adjustments. Ne never change your FTP. Not, not until you assess and you know, it has changed during the workout. Just tweak that workout intensity up or down. Um, in, in your case down, try 5% the first time I, I'd be willing to bet you'll have a far more productive workout, David or Mike, sorry. David, you had a question that's very similar to Daryl's uh, talking about uh, pushing into the season late with racing and then also coming back and wondering if you should just skip base or how you should go into things. Um, I believe the advice we gave is principle-based and applies to your question. The advice we gave to Daryl uh, would apply to yours too. So if you feel like you need some more info, just drop us a line. Uh, we can take care of that. Keith, I'm a former Cat 2 roadie turning 50 next year. I'm returning to structured training after five years off, specifically to break a PR from a decade ago in a hilly cycling event that will take me seven and a half hours to compete. Oof. I'm going to Europe. That's a big ride. I'm going to Europe to complete a bucket list Grand Fondo as well. Both events occur within a month of each other, two months after the completion of the base phase that I'm planning to do. In the past, I've had success with sweet spot intervals. I realize now, however, that I also spent entirely too much time riding in that not hard, not easy zone. Some are calling the black hole, or I assume the, the gray zone is what he's talking about. I discovered trainer road and polarized training. So armed myself with a, ki a Wahoo kicker and came up with this plan for myself. And by polarized training, I'm assuming he's meaning structured interval training. 
traditional base is what you're planning on doing. So that's our training plan uh, that has you doing four, uh, three different blocks of four weeks of training. Um, and you're looking at just following low volume and then picking it up to mid volume and finishing off with high volume at the end. Pretty cool stuff. But each week I'm going to replace one aerobic workout with an anaerobic workout for the first eight to 10 weeks, then two anaerobic workouts a week with the remainder of the phase being careful to maintain the recommended TSS scores for each cycle. So, uh, once completed, I'll be into the spring and onto a more specific plan yet to be determined for the events. I don't plan on doing a build phase at all. I'd be interested in your thoughts on this more polarized approach to training. So on the substituting of the workouts that he's doing, Chad, any thoughts? Yeah, Keith. So, um, polarized training, as we talked about earlier, is basically making sure that your, your, uh, long, easy days are easy enough and that your short, hard days are hard enough. And uh, what you've described uh, works really well. In fact, if you look at the plans, you're kind of describing just the higher volume versions of basically every plan I've developed. You have a couple days during the week of intensity, and then you know, based on how much time you have to devote to training, you have uh, more workouts aimed at aerobic endurance, which is that you know the, the 80 percent, the low the low intensity segment of that. So what you've uh, put forth here is, is good and fine. That's a, it's a great approach, but it means you have to dig up your own workouts. We've done that for you. I, I would uh, comb through the high volume versions of, of our training plans. And I'd be willing to bet you'll find something that fits really well. I, I too, looking at this, um, it sounds like he's describing sweet spot mid volume, yeah. which is, uh, you know, five days a week, three of those are intensity. And then two of those are endurance. And if you go up to, I'm just looking at the plans right now. If you go up to, uh, the high volume one, all that's doing is in kind of increasing your, um, endurance rides. So I would, I would look at the sweet spot, mid volume and high volume and decide which one of those that you, you want to do. Cause it's just about exactly what you're asking for. Uh, Matthew, you ask, I know that I'm not the, or you say that you're no, you know, that you're not the best at pacing your FTP tests. <laughs> And you've seen a large discrepancy between using the average of the two eight-minute efforts. In other words, uh, one of the FTP tests that we have, it's uh, two, uh, the two-by-eight test, and the results from a lactate threshold test. Do you have any thoughts on using something like the BSX Insight, the Generation 2 one, to get consi- to consistently get FTP? Uh, uh, Chad, any thoughts on this one? I'm sure yeah, Nate so, and I can chime in too. Uh, absolutely, yeah. and, and please do. Um, the BSX Insight is a device that um, measures blood lactate, but I'm pretty sure it does it with light, so it's not invasive. We're not, we're not checking blood. Um, you're getting an FTP estimate from us uh, over your two eight-minute efforts of 228, and then you use the, the BSX and came up with 216 watts at five millimolar, which you know was pro- probably close to threshold. And then uh, during a step test, you stepped up the next step and went to 244, and your lactate jumped substantially. So you're looking at somewhere in the range of 216 to 244. We estimated you at 228. Um, I think we're pretty close. Yeah, he, this is I think emblematic. Before we get into the actual device themselves and or the ones that you'll be using. This is emblematic of something that we talk about somewhat regularly, uh, just with using either the two by eight or the 20 minute test. When you change the way the testing protocol to assess your FTP, um, don't be alarmed if you get different results. It's just changing the way that you're going about finding that out. Now, ideally, in an ideal world, we would always be perfect testers and we would be able to figure these things out directly, right? Uh, You'd be a perfect FTP assessor every time you would get an accurate indication of your FTP. But as it requires work and requires time, as you've pointed out, you said you're not the best at pacing during your FTP tests. And this can definitely affect the output. But 
Nate, anything more to add on this? Yeah, if you uh, if you pace your FTP test poorly, we we talked about this at a previous podcast. But if you you go, you know, you you start out way too hard or you held back, you can either retest, which is perfectly fine, or you can uh, um, just bump your FTP up a little bit after the fact. It, that's okay. And then once you get into some of the workouts and the plans, you you can see if it's if you know that was a bad move or not. You'll feel it. Um, it's it's crazy, like. Uh, th- I did um, the 20 minute test on a Tuesday and then the eight minute test on a Thursday and my, I, I executed them both well. And my difference in FTP score was one watt. <laughs> it was crazy. Like I, that's probably just luck. Like I don't, I don't, I don't expect that for everyone, but luck or really good pacing. So I've noticed the same really thing by pacing. the way. My, my <laughs> yeah. Pat yourself on the back, Nate. There you go. Um, but for me, it's the same thing. I've done the 20 minute test and the two by eight. Now, granted, I really have to make sure that I'm pacing properly. And, and that is a big focus. I'm not trying to hit a number during my test. I'm just trying to pace myself effectively. I can't be overstated enough. That's something that has to be learned and really applied and focused on. As far as any insight on the BSX insight, we've actually never used one here. So I don't think that we're probably the best ones to, to chime in on that. Uh, we did talk to the guys, great guys, cool product and stuff at Interbike, but probably not the best ones to chime in on it. So, um, Graham, uh, Graham asks, this may be a silly question since Watts are Watts, but will I fatigue more quickly riding at 200 Watts at hundred RPM cadence than I will riding at 200 Watts Watts with 90 or even 80 RPM cadence? Uh, Graham, that's not a silly question at all. It's, it's, it brings up a really good point. Um, you're talking about the difference, kind of a, not a subtle difference, but it's not as, as, as drastic as maybe, um, riding in a hundred and then dropping down to 60 RPM. But if you consider what the muscle has to do at, at different cadences, you can see that it, it will take a different toll. So for instance, if you're grinding along at 60 RPM, those are really forceful pedal strokes. Um, your, your slow twitch fibers, your really aerobic fibers can't really shoulder that burden all that well. So they recruit, you know, sugar burners, fast, fast twitch fibers, and, and it, it changes your rate of glycogen depletion, you know, how much sugar you're, you're burning. And it, it uh, saps your muscles more differently or in a different way than it would if you were spinning along, zinging along at, at hundred RPM where you're doing many contractions, but they're light ones. They're mostly, you know, more predominantly aerobically fueled because they're lighter contractions. So those, those weaker, more enduring fibers can, can, uh, shoulder that burden I was just talking about. Yeah. It's all about of riding at what you're used to, right? Chad, you have to train at that. To become yeah. And that's, that's a whole nother point. So as you, you know, as your training grows increasingly specific, you try to use the cadences that you plan to use um, during your events. Uh, you don't want to train at hundred RPM and then go and be forced to, to climb at 70 RPM all day. It, it uh, doesn't carry all that well. That's the biggest takeaway is train the way you're going to race. So if, if you plan on racing at hundred RPMs, better train that. And if you're going to do a lot of slow stuff, cause you're on a steep mountain bike climb train for that. And guys, I'm sorry. I have to leave the podcast early. I have to, uh, I'm traveling. I have to catch something. So, uh, I will see everyone next week. See you, Nate. you guys can handle it. I'm sure. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks, Nate. See ya. Steve. I would like to move to a higher volume training plan, but longer hours on weekends doesn't work so well for me. Two small kids and family time. Would it be as effective, say, if I flipped, say, a key interval workout from Thursday, Saturday, or Sunday and put the long ride on Thursday or Friday? Yes, yeah, Steve, you, you kind of have to do what you have to do, what your schedule accommodates. 
Um, the downside with this is if you go into the higher intensity, higher quality workouts, fatigued from a longer workout, uh, you're not going to get the, the, the full training adaptation we're seeking. So if you can structure things such that you do your hardest days on your freshest days, that would be ideal. But if, if you have to structure it, as you've mentioned, you know, give it a shot, see it, see if it pans out, see if the FTP increases keep coming. And if not, then, you know, obviously something has to change. And you also mentioned, Steve, that you're an Olympic uh, or mid-distance triathlete, so Olympics and 70.3s. And you see that as you're planning out your year, you're going to have a few races that are four to five weeks apart. Um, Should And his question is, what kind of plan should I follow between races? Do you half or try specialty plans? Or then those are our specialty plans that we have, by the way. Those are, it'll bring you to peak fitness, um, kind of uh, fine-tune that fitness as you're coming into your event. Or fit in a general fitness maintenance plan. What do you think, Chad? Uh, basically, over the course of that four to five weeks, you're just looking to stay sharp. So you can you can do a number of things. Um, the maintenance plans might work. I'm not sure they're the best fit for a steady state athlete like a triathlete. So I think your better bet would be repeating segments of your specialty plan. And that might mean um, probably the latter four weeks would, would be the best bet. So six, seven, and then you'll taper... Um, during week seven and eight, just in time for your next event. All right. And the next question here uh, we have is from Donald. And Donald, you have a question that actually uh, relates well to one that we talked about earlier. You're 39, you have a young family, and the only way you can fit in a decent amount of training is to jump on the turbo at 6 a.m. So you say, I'm doing the sweet spot based training mid blocks at the moment. So those are, are the sweet spot plans that we talked about at the moment and have completed the first six weeks fasted. I do the longer rides outside um, as 90 minutes on the trainer is enough for you. When doing two to three hours rides, um, when you do the two to three hour rides, you usually start out eating at the 90 minute mark. You felt fine during the first block and you're about to start the second block of base training there. But is it okay to do the higher intensity ones, uh, the ones with the over-unders uh, in them and the stuff that has you right at, right at threshold, is it okay to do those fasted and just do the more base-focused rides on an empty stomach? Yeah, um, Donald, this is something that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, you can do more work. Most people can do more work than they realize in a fasted state. Um, the, even, even coming off an overnight fast where your liver glycogen is depleted, you still have a fair amount on board, you know, within the muscles themselves. So it it may be fasted, but it's not to imply that you don't have any glycogen to work with. Um, it's for each rider to determine, you know, how fat adapted, how carbohydrate independent they are and see how far they can push that before they start to, to feel bad or the intervals aren't going as well as they'd like them to, and they're not meeting their marks. Um, but like I said, I've done a lot of fasted training and I, I do it on long rides, I do it on short rides. Uh, the telltale sign for me is when I start to smell ammonia on my breath. That's a good uh, indication that I'm starting to metabolize or catabolize, I should say, mu- muscle content. So uh, that's about the time where, you know, you say you start eating at 90 minutes. Um, you could actually perhaps push it longer. Um, once you start to get that, that taste on your breath, though, it's probably a good indication uh, you need some, need some food. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I just echo all of what Chad says. I do the majority of my rides in a fasted state as well, bright and early. So, And there, there's a lot of benefit to it. So it's not just about, mm-hmm. not necessarily just about weight loss. There's also a lot of aerobic adaptation that takes place. Um, uh, th- th- there are plenty of benefits to it, a lot of upsides. Yeah, absolutely. Marco, currently I'm in the base period of training. So another question about base training. <laughs> uh, during previous years, I've used weight training, 
One year I was doing CrossFit and high intensity interval style training. Uh, last year I was doing pure weight without any high intensity interval stuff or CrossFit. So we're, we're combining, this is like, this is internet fodder right here. This is flame. Um, does CrossFit type of training have negative impacts in the base period because of the intensity of CrossFit and the intensity of CrossFit, which he says here is usually high and the base period is all about going easy. So there are a couple of assumptions that we're operating on. First of all, um, or I'll let you take this, tackle this one from whatever angle, Chad, because you know a fair amount yeah, about it, it's this. It's not like, we get this question in a lot of forms. It's not like one type of training comes at the expense of the other, or that you're going to reverse adaptations done with low and slow versus adaptations done with high intensity. They're just two different things. And, and where you decide to devote your time um, is going to dictate, you know, which of them sees a better, better adaptation or better response. So... You know, resistance training, whether it's CrossFit or HIT training or whatever, uh, or pure weight training. Um, it's, it's just another form of training that could come at the expense of training you could do on your bike. That's more specific to what you're, what you're trying to achieve. Um, I will say that trying to cultivate strength and trying to cultivate base fitness at the same time is difficult, but it's not undoable. Uh, in your case, I would recommend doing your endurance training early in the day save your strength training for the latter end of that day. Try to space it out quite a bit. And then uh, I think we address this question later, but uh, try to make your recovery days actual recovery days. Yeah, that takes care of that question for later on. Fantastic advice. Tom, why is my indoor trainer power higher than when I cycle outdoors? Uh, that's a really good question, Tom. One we get a lot. People think um, they need to set up. I even went as far as setting up two different profiles in my analysis software a while back where I had an indoor threshold and an outdoor threshold. And what it comes down to is you have one functional threshold you have one optimal or, you know, highest steady state power. Um, if it suffers a little bit indoors, that can be a, you know, a, a matter of motivation. It's typically a matter of cooling. So the way I try to, or I've, I've resorted to explaining it these days is just like, you know, say your threshold's 300 and you know that you can climb a particular climb at 280 for an entire hour and still go on to ride a while afterwards. But on a really hot day, low wind, same climb, you're stuck at 250. You're feeling good, but for some reason you just can't elevate the watts. Um, your body has a lot of protective mechanisms when, when it comes to managing or thermoregulating. So managing your, your temperature and, and it, it restricts you. So the same thing, if you're in a basement and your fan isn't adequate or the temperature in the room's too hot, perhaps too humid, um, your body, your brain will regulate just exactly what you can do and you won't be able to perform to your actual potential. And you actually, Tom, you're, you're in many ways, uh, the opposite of what is the norm in the sense that your indoor training power is higher oh, than when you ride outdoors. Just but, caught that. Yeah. But having said that, um, it's it certain you aren't alone in this. We, we see it both ways. Don't we, Chad? Yeah, actually we do. Yeah. And, and one thing that I would say is why your indoor training power might be higher when you're riding indoors. Um, a lot of, uh, so one, one thing, it depends on how you're measuring your power outdoors. When you're measuring your power indoors, that may be a very measured environment, very, or very, uh, controlled environment. Whereas if, when you're outside, you may not have had the opportunity to actually, uh, eliminate so many variables and really test your power. It also is a testament to your ability to focus when you're inside. So kudos on that, because that's in many cases, like Chad said, the largest limiting factor is cooling. Uh, and then I would say second behind that is the ability to focus. And um, that's really hard for a lot of people to do on the trainer. So it sounds like you have that going. 
if you're trying, if you're pulling data from races or events, remember that in many cases, races and events are, are the most var- variable ridden environments that we could possibly enter into. Um, if it's a time trial or something like that, we're getting a little less, but even then compared to the trainer, it's very different. Comparing one FTP to another is obviously necessary if you're going to be racing outside, um, which all of us do. Hopefully you're not just a person that just rides the trainer all day. And if you are doing that, it's important to know if there is a margin, but I would encourage you to try to, uh, try to get to the point where you can ride inside or ride outside what your inside FTP is, Tom, um, with time and focus, you'll be able to do it because you're physiologically able to, to do it inside. The only one caveat that I would add to this is the fact that if you are using virtual power, then you may have a different situation here. Remember, virtual power is an estimation of your power based off of your speed and a power curve that we have for that trainer. So if you're, for some reason, going off virtual power inside and then a power meter outside, I don't know why you would be, but if you were, then definitely uh, you will see a discrepancy. Or if you're using two different power meters, the same principle applies. You'll see a discrepancy. So um, yeah, hopefully that information helped you, Tom. Kind of a shotgun load of stuff there. And the last question we'll take care of this week is from Ian. Uh, Ian asks, I generally do two trainer road sessions per week in the winter, plus a 70 mile ride on a Sunday. I try to do a hill climb session and generally, and a general build session on trainer road as I don't have time to strictly follow a program. So your question, will I still see the benefit of the trainer road sessions? Uh, so with this guy's training schedule, Chad, will he still see the benefit? Yeah, absolutely. This is basically the this is the basis for, for what we do here. Uh, ideally or minimally a couple days of intensity during the week and then a, a long endurance ride on the weekend. That's, that's the basic formula. And, and I basically devise all the training plans, uh, with that basis. So you're absolutely on a good track. Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us this week, guys. And thanks for your questions. Remember you can submit those at support at trainerroad.com. We'll be taking those questions all week. You can also join us live, and you'll see a link when you submit a question to join us live. And you can ask your questions in live time as well. Remember, you can find this podcast on iTunes. You can find it on SoundCloud and any other place where good podcasts are aggregated. Just search for Cycling or Trainer Road on any of those uh, those engines, and you'll find us. Leave us a review. Uh, let us know what you like about the podcast. We'd appreciate it. And happy training, guys. Thanks for joining us, everybody.